Today's episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Hello, and welcome to Dungeons & Dragons. I'm your dungeon narrator today, Russ Moore, here to bring you a recap of the first 15 episodes of Dungeons & Dragons. I'm hoping to do these about every 15 episodes to help make it easy for new listeners and adventures, perhaps like yourself, to hop on board with the latest episodes, but also to help jog the memory of those that have been with us from the beginning. I'm going to start by letting you know where you can find us. The easiest way is to click over to dumbdragons.com. There you can find all of our social media links and some of the most popular or widely used podcast app links like Apple Podcasts, Google Play for North American listeners, also Stitcher and TuneIn. We are available, I believe, pretty much wherever podcasts are available though, so you should be able to find us. On Facebook, we're at facebook.com slash dumbdragonpodcast. On Twitter, we're at dumbdragoncast, and you can also email us at dumbdragonpodcast at gmail.com. Enough of the formalities, though. Let's get right to the recap. We open in a dark, stone-walled room. Our three adventurers, Flint Firebeard, a dwarven champion fighter with a bitchin' beard to add, whose past with a military mercenary group, the Fist of the Iron Dawn, has left him with bouts of PTSD and drove him to drug use, where he met Thea Amastasia, an elven druid who never really has taken her skills as a druid to mean much more than growing the finest herb, and Nulara Moonbrook, a human ranger whose past remains a mystery to most, but while adventuring with her companion pseudo-dragon, Donnie, met up with Thea and then Flint to band together and save a village of halflings from an orc raiding party, helping to truly bring them together. The three slowly and groggily wake up to find themselves locked in a room, with no memory of how they got there. In the room with them is a small mechanical cube-shaped creature. As the adventurers investigate the room, the mechanical creature wakes up and says, Oh, finally, you guys are awake! Flint Thea and Nulara all have no memory of this creature, but he introduces himself as Tibby, a helper Modron that was sent with them on this quest by their boss, Salazar Domine, from their organization, the Guild of the Nine Shadows. They are supposed to find a Tome of Enchantments, but were ambushed and brought to this room. The adventurers, as they do, begin hacking down doors and find that they are in fact in a dungeon. Throughout their search, they find a room filled with sleeping bugbears, which they handily sneak through. But as they decide they don't want to wake the cozy mound of bugbears, they have Tibby aid them in picking the locks of any future door. They carry on their way through the dungeon, finding and battling a guarding minotaur as well as several gargoyles until they find the Tome of Enchantments locked in a far corner of their captor's dungeon, which is guarded by a trapped conveyor belt pit hallway. The adventurers find their way out of the dungeon and to freedom, where they are able to contact their home base and are whisked back to their headquarters. 
In their debrief, the adventurers are told by Salazar that they have been called to the city of Waterdeep by a previous acquaintance, Leosin Erlanthar, to attend a council meeting and discuss and assist in the fight against the Cult of the Dragon's goal to bring Tiamat, the Dragon Queen, back from the Nine Hells to the Material Plane. In this meeting, Salazar brings the group in on the inner workings of the Guild of the Nine Shadows. The Guild of the Nine Shadows is in charge of maintaining the fate and the order among the Nine Planes of Existence. There are controllers of each plane, and Salazar is the controller of the Material Plane. Flint, Thea, and Nulara are up-and-coming members of the Guild and are tasked with duties to aid in the Guild's goals to maintain peace in the Material Plane. After stocking up with the Guild's local apothecary and tinkerer, Ozark, where they gain new equipment, Thea gaining a ring of spell storing, Nulara an alchemist's ring, and Flint a belt of dwarven kind, they make their way to Waterdeep via the Guild's magical train. When they arrive, the city of Waterdeep looks like any other. Business is being conducted and people are going about their day, when they suddenly sense a shift in the wind, and with it brings a strange sense of unease akin to the drop in pressure before a deadly storm. The entire town seems to feel this, and people and animals alike cease moving and wait for it to stop before people slowly begin to go about their business again. However, animals throughout the city all seem unusually nervous and on edge. The adventurers are to head to the Lord's Palace to join this council meeting that is about to begin. Once they arrive, they are greeted by their friend Leosin who tells them that they will be asked about their previous dealings with the Cult of the Dragon. In the meeting, they are introduced to Lord Dagult Neverember of the Lord's Alliance and Dalla Silmerhelv, who tells the Council and adventurers about the shift in nature coming from a device called the Dracorn, a device previously used to alert dragons across Faerun that great events are unfolding. Flint, Thea, and Nulara are called upon to recount their encounters with the Cult of the Dragon. They go into great detail about how the cult has been building a hoard of treasure as an offering to the Dragon Queen Tiamat. They explain how they destroyed a nest of black dragon eggs, and how they have killed one of the cult's worm speakers, Resmir, before crashing the frost giant's Skyreach castle in a large-scale battle that was transporting treasure to an unknown location. Lord Neverember deputizes them with emergency investigative powers and a writ demonstrating these responsibilities. The adventurers also convince the council to allow them to carry honorary badges. Dallas Silmerhelv approaches them after the meeting and explains that the Dracorn's last known location was in northern Faerun in the Sea of Moving Ice. There, they may be able to find a member of another organization, the Arcane Brotherhood's Makoth the Crimson. The adventurers agree that heading to the Sea of Moving Ice is the best first step along their journey to stopping the Cult of the Dragon. Later, Leosin gives word that one of the worm speakers, Varam the White, has been spotted in southeastern Faerun in the Serpent Hills. However, at the adventurer's request, he arranges a ship to take them to the Sea of Moving Ice. The ship, the Frost Skimmer, is captained by a human male named Larusta Halfface. After nearly a week's travel, the adventurers learn Makoth was investigating a possible lair of a dragon, known as Aruthator, also known as Old White Death, and this could be her last known location. Her ship was found wrecked and most of the crew was found dead. Aruthator is a very powerful dragon who studies and is fluent in some forms of magic, and in fact attacked and stole from the Arcane Brotherhood, which may be why Makoth was trying to find him. Out at sea, the adventurers, after coming across a group of local hunters, follow them to an impressive iceberg, 
where they dock and find a tribe living there. Flint is tasked with fighting gladiator style to prove they are worthy of being accepted by these tribal hunters, which he does with relative ease against their strongest warrior. Flint, Thea, and Nulara are courted and told by the tribe shaman that this tribe is trapped and tasked with guarding the entrance to Aruthator's lair, which is in fact here inside the iceberg named Oyabegatan. They are also told that based on the tribe's agreement with Aruthator, he most certainly knows that the adventurers are here and will be expected if they look to enter his lair, but also if they were to flee before dispatching Old White Death, that they would certainly not make it home alive. Charging ahead, the three make their way into Aruthator's lair, where they meet a group of working kobolds polishing frozen dead giants in the dragon's trophy room, and a group of ice toads who maintain records of everything in the north, including Aruthator's treasures. After finding out from the ice toads leader, Marfulb, that the Dracorn was here but was traded to the cult of the dragon some time ago, they make their way further into the lair where they finally find Makoth the Crimson. Makoth warns the adventurers that she has seen many brave warriors come before them, and all have met a perilous fate at the hands of Aruthator. Nonetheless, she provides them with a ring of cold resistance and two arrows of dragon slaying that she managed to create in hopes to help them in their battle. Flint, Thea, and Nulara rest briefly before heading down into the belly of the iceberg to face Aruthator. Hoping to gain some surprise, the adventurers make their way down into his perch, only to find that Old White Death is in fact waiting for them. Battle erupts between the three heroes and Aruthator. The battle carries on for a while before Thea fires one of the arrows of Dragonslang straight into the body of the dragon. In a rage, Aruthator uses his breath weapon and Thea and Nulara are struck, coming very close to death and begin hanging on for dear life. Flint ensures the dragon is driven off and goes to help his friends in the nick of time. Aruthator was in fact driven from his lair by the heroes through underground passages and escaped presumably to heal and fight another day. Makoth packs up everything she needs, and the tribe living above the iceberg pack their camp and leave as quickly as possible, gladly escaping the clutches of the dragon. Setting sail on the Frost Skimmer, Makoth works with Nulara to learn a new spell called Boomerang Arrow that she wanted to acquire from one of the spell books found in Aruthator's lair, and tries to convince Nulara that only she should accompany Makoth to the Arcane Brotherhood in Luskin, a rough and tumble trade city often run by people only interested in shady dealings, stating the city may be too dangerous for her dwarf and elven friend. Meanwhile, Flint and Thea fawn over their new toys, including Flint's ice fragmentation grenades and Thea's two arrows of dragon slay. The two of them make fast friends with a male half-orc named Baron and his sister Sasha, who work aboard the Frost Skimmer. They find out they come from a town called Little Rock that has been dealt a hand of trouble by the Cult of the Dragon. Baron asks them to help them, his family, and their town in a fight against the Cult. These type of events they find out are occurring more and more throughout Faerun, leading them to believe the Cult of the Dragon is spreading its reach and recruiting more warriors in their fight to bring Tiamat back from the Nine Hells. Once they arrive in Luskin, the adventurers decide they would be best served to accompany Baron and his sister Sasha to the town of Little Rock. They task Makoth with convincing the Arcane Brotherhood to help them in their own grander fight against the Cult of the Dragon. When they return to the port of Luskin, they are to meet up and determine if the Arcane Brotherhood will help. After a couple days of travel, the adventurers, along with Baron and Sasha, arrive in Little Rock and find it eerily deserted. They quietly sneak through the streets of the town and make their way to Baron and Sasha's old home. 
but find that most of the buildings have been abandoned or destroyed. Leaving Sasha behind, they make their way to the city center, where they find a group of people who Baran knows to be members of the town. They tell them that the Cult of the Dragon left after mysterious disappearances, first of the cult members and then from members of the town, and they believe something came in with the Cult of the Dragon when they arrived. There have been sightings of two large dark figures, with sharp claws and white eyes having been seen attacking different people and noises heard through the streets at night, which drew everyone indoors and barricaded themselves away. The adventurers with Baran set a fire in the town square hoping to draw this creature out, but instead hear a scream coming from Baran's house, where Sasha was left. When they arrive, they find windows smashed in and Sasha covered in blood, as well as an odd green mist. Sasha gives a description that is in line with what the other members of the town have mentioned, and Baran takes her to where the others are holed up, while Flint, Thea, and Nulara follow footsteps left out back, presumably by the monster leading to the woods. Nulara easily tracks the footsteps a ways into the forest until they hit a dead end and hear a call for help from a small boy, who they come to know as Lent. Lent says he escaped the monster's lair and ran as fast as he could to get away. The adventurers send Lent on the back of Thea's jade owl guacamole, back to the house where the rest of the village is and continue on to find the monster's hideout. They follow Lent's footsteps and make their way to the mouth of a cave. Sending Donnie in, they find the cave to be littered with bones and gore of humans and animals alike, but also determine there are two adults inside locked up in cages. Donnie releases them and they make their way out of their cage. After questioning them, they get no further on what the monster looks like, but the two people in cages tell the adventurers that Lent has been missing since the very beginning and might not actually be alive when Guacamole appears and takes the whole crew to where she dropped Lent off, right outside the barricaded house. The three go inside where everything seems to be okay. However, they find a trail of the same green mist leading upstairs and they hear a small child singing. The child is singing a bedtime nursery tale about a creature called an Oni. Her parents try to tell the group that it is just that, a story, when the girl transforms into a huge, beastly oni. Dark blue skin, white hair and eyes, and massive claws. Flint, Thea, and Nulara defeat the oni, and the green mist in the room transforms back into the girl who was originally thought to be singing the song. Thea recalls seeing the green mist at Baran and Sasha's old home, and rushes downstairs to discover Sasha transforming into the second oni. Battle ensues, and the trio chase the Oni as it tries to flee. They best it, and once they determine the city is in fact safe, they are asked to accompany the remaining citizens of Little Rock to the neighboring city of Mirabar, a dwarven mining city approximately two days' travel to the east of Little Rock. The adventurers agree, feeling responsible for the welfare of the few people left in this town. Their travel goes off without a hitch, and they arrive in Mirabar within two days. Everyone is directed to the town hospice, the helping hand, where they leave the homeless refugees of Little Rock, with the city officials in Mirabar to help them get back on their feet. Feeling ready to get back on the road to stop the Cult of the Dragon, the crew turn around in the streets of Mirabar and are quickly greeted by a friend of Flint's from his days with the Iron Fist of the Dawn. This friend, Leonin Glory Gem, is excited to see Flint and treats him and his friends to a night out at the local town favorite, the Rightiana Panda Hut, which, to be clear, doesn't serve pandas. After a few pints and many stories, Glory Gem asks Flint, Nulara, and Thea if they wouldn't mind delivering a package to a fellow named Geraldo Agrin, who is supposed to be in Luskin. He thinks this shouldn't be a problem, seeing as they were headed that way anyway. 
When asked what was in the box, Glory Gem says it's nothing of great concern, merely a sword and an amulet. The three adventurers agreed to take the package, but also, as an aside, they say that they'll be taking it to Makoth for her and the Arcane Brotherhood to take a look at, before delivering, of course. Everyone has a few more drinks and head to a nearby inn where Glory Gem has them set up with a room for the night and delivers the package with the sword and the amulet inside, telling them that it's magically locked so they shouldn't try to open it. The three fall asleep quickly as they have had a busy few days without much rest. Not long after drifting off, Thea is awakened by a noise in the room. She finds an armored half-dragon standing over Flint with a longsword raised to the air, about to bring it down on him. Thea reacts fast and tackles the half-dragon to the ground. This wakes Flint and Nulara, and quickly other Dragonclaw warriors barge in. Battle breaks out in their room when Glory Gem bursts through the door, telling the three to run. Immediately after his pleas are met with, but we were winning, a young blue dragon tears off the front facade of their room and the three grab their things and bolt out the back of the inn. They rearmor themselves and make sure they have the box with them. The dragon takes flight and pursues them through the streets of Mirabar when Thea and Nulara think it's a great idea to throw chickens and doves to distract an oncoming dragon. Surprisingly, it works, and the adventurers lose the dragon through the underground tunnels in Mirabar, making their way inside a blacksmith's shop. Once they find the dragon has lost their scent and the coast is clear, Flint, Thea, and Nulara leave the perturbed blacksmith to go see if they can help back at the inn. When they arrive, the fight is over, with many dragon claws found dead in the streets, with no signs of the half-dragon or young blue dragon, and the iron fist of the dawn cleaning up the mess. The three are then tersely greeted by Colonel Maramris Solax, the leader of the Iron Fist of the Dawn, who tells Flint that this whole thing is his fault and he should never have come here. Flint attempts to reason with him, stating that they were only here dropping off some refugees from a neighboring town, and Glory Gem asks them if they would deliver a package for him. Solax is furious with Leonid for this, and takes the package from Flint and storms off. Glory Gem tells Flint, Thea, and Nulara to meet him later that day at the Rydiana Panda Hut, and he will tell them what is really going on. But first shows the three a piece of parchment found on one of the Dragon Claws with images of Flint, Thea, and Nulara on a wanted poster, presumably issued by the Cult of the Dragon. The adventurers have some time to kill before they are to meet with Glory Gem, so they head back to the blacksmiths for Thea to acquire some better armor. They learn the blacksmith's name is Patrick, and he begrudgingly says that he will make Thea her armor, thinking that they are the reason there are dragons flying around his city. Patrick says the armor will take a couple days to forge before she'll be able to pick it up, though. Jumping to the Rydiana Panda Hut, Glory Gem tells Flint and crew that he was hoping that the three would figure out what was inside the box and not deliver it after all, knowing once Flint knew the items inside were evil in nature, he wouldn't want them to be put into the wrong hands. The items were in fact difficult to obtain. In fact, several members of the Iron Fist of the Dawn were killed while tracking them down. Glory Gem goes on to say that he believes Colonel Solax is working with the Cult of the Dragon, and that he, along with a wizard, are attempting later today to take control of the Council of the Sparkling Stones, the council members in Mirabar, and somehow make the Axe of Mirabar, the city's military force, join the cult. The adventurers go to stop Colonel Solax and end up killing him and the wizard in the process, only to be stopped afterward by what seems to be a large show of force of the Axe of Mirabar. They're arrested and locked away in Mirabar's Town Hall Brig, and are approached by three members of the Axe of Mirabar who begin speaking in unison as if enchanted. They ask them where they come from, and where they can acquire a power that has been growing across the land of Faerun. 
This leaves the adventurers confused, and the soldiers from the Axe of Mirabar exit the room, leaving two soldiers behind to guard them. There is another sleeping dwarf in a cell across from theirs, who looks to have been interrogated with some force recently. They wake him up and convince him to explain what he knows about the situation. He tells them his name is Osric Battlehammer, and he was a lieutenant with the Axe of Mirabar up until recently, when those members who were on duty and in armor turned into something else, something not quite right. He also says that there are 1,500 members who will be returning to Mirabar soon, and only about 500 were on site when this change occurred. The four come up with a plan to escape and manage to overpower the guards, who they find have been turned into some form of undead. Osric leads the four of them to acquire their weapons and armor. Upon exiting the armory, Flint, Thea, and Nulara are transported out of the armory and into an underground dungeon. They begin working their way through the dungeon, looking for an exit, when they are met by a portal mirror with the face of a dark elf who announces himself as Thelonious Primsbane, a necromantic wizard sent by Loth, the goddess of spiders and lies, and her followers to find the source of the power that has been creeping across the land and harness it for his people. Pleading ignorance, or really just not knowing what he was talking about, Primsbane finally asks the three where to catch the train. Prinsbane goes on to explain when the remaining members of the Axe of Mirabar return, they will be transformed at the city limits into the undead creatures that the adventurers witnessed in the jail cell. Not answering him, Thelonious tells the adventurers that they will be stuck in this dungeon until they are willing to bargain. With that, Flint, Thea, and Nulara set off into the dungeon in search of some sort of way out. They come across a secret room that turns out to be full of gargoyle statues that end up releasing giant wasps and spiders into the room for the three to contend with. A lengthy battle ensues, and the adventurers come out victorious. Dusting and cleaning themselves off, another portal suddenly opens. Out from the blue glowing orb steps their friend from the Guild of the Nine Shadows, Tibby. Overjoyed, the three follow Tibby through the portal as he tells them how this new portal magic that the guild has been working on is really sweet. Almost immediately after which, they find they are teleported to another dimension, a parallel universe if you will, on a world called Enin. Finding a way back from Enin proves to be most difficult, as it is a world and nature that none of them have ever experienced. But finally, they discover the Library of the Dead, and inside holds the key to correcting the portal magic that Tibby and the Guild had cast originally. Throughout their journey, Flint acquires a second spirit in his body, a dragonborn named Bort, and Thea acquired a Book of the Druids, which changed the way she thought about her skills quite drastically. If you want to know more about the adventurer's trip to Enon, please listen to episode 32 of Frozen Dragons, available on Apple Podcasts. The adventurers are now able to find their way back to Faerun, and Tibby's axiomatic mind tells him that he must return to his home plane of existence to teach them how to travel between realms, planes, and dimensions. Going their separate ways, the adventurers arrive back in Faerun only to find that Mirabar appears to be on fire and under attack, and the remaining members of the Axe of Mirabar are marching towards the city's entrance. Flint, Thea, and Nulara race to stop the army from entering. They meet the commander of the military, Torgar Hammerstriker. They explain to him that if he and his men return to the city wearing their armor, that they may suffer the same fate as the men inside the city, which now they find out to be approximately 1,000 soldiers. They tell Hammerstriker that they met Osric Battlehammer, and he may be in the city as well. 
Torgar agrees to go into the city and help find and defeat the source of this magic, telling his men to wait for a signal when it should be safe to enter. Torgar leads the three through an underground sewer and into the tunnels, where they head to the blacksmith Patrick's shop in hopes to find untainted armor for Torgar, as well as Thea's, which surely should be done by now, right? Patrick is in hiding, having his shop turned over by some of the undead dwarven warriors, but surly greets Torgar and the adventurers. He is able to tell them that the armor that the Axe of Mirabar wears is in fact a specific metal alloy that only their soldiers wear, called Dark Mithril Alloy, a combination of dark steel alloy and mithril armor. Patrick provides Thea and Torgar with armor, and they head out to check some of the safe houses throughout the city, where Hammerstriker feels that Osric may be in hiding if he is still alive. The first safe house they visit, they do not find Osric but they do find a carved figure hidden that Torgar knows Osric made, and may have left as a sign that he is still alive. The second house they visit in fact holds the bruised and worn out Osric Battlehammer. He is incredibly surprised to see Flint, Thea, and Nulara telling them the surprising fact that they have been gone for three weeks since they were last seen in the prison with Osric and Leonin. He tells them he managed to escape, but Leonin was taken captive again. As they are discussing what to do next, a strange sound cuts in, and everyone hears the voice of Salazar Domine coming out of Nulara's arrow quiver, saying, Debbie! Debbie, where are you, you stupid mech? Whew! That's the highlights of the first 15 episodes. Hopefully that was enjoyable to listen to and you are caught up now, and I hope you are convinced that there's some serious action going on in Dungeons & Dragons. In each episode, we certainly do keep things on the lighter side with jokes and laughter among everyone as we tell the story of Flint, Thea, and Nulara. If you want to find us, you can go to dumbdragons.com. You can also join our community on Facebook at facebook.com slash dumbdragonpodcast. On Twitter, we are at dumbdragoncast. Or you can send us an email to dumbdragonpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for joining us. I'm Russ Moore, and I've been your dungeon narrator today. Happy adventuring! The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. So this is the end of the world. Pretty weird, right? I'm Hannah. I'm sure you've probably noticed by now. I'm a zombie. My name would be the last one. From the creator of Redmond Born and Cybernautica. I can't exactly control most of the things zombie me does. I'm basically what amounts to a backseat driver in my own body. You learn to kind of just go with it after a while, I think. Like, do I feel bad for eating a family of four when I was new? You bet. Not exactly my favorite memory. Anna is living her best unlife, while unknowingly being on a crash course with Callie, an explorer desperately seeking to leave her mark on an American wasteland that seems to be all out of new discoveries. One might say that it's the comics that got me into this, but between you and me, I'm going to blame the McSodas. No sense in ruining everything I like in one day. Together, this unlikely pair team up against the dangers of (sighs) post-apocalyptia. Okay, okay. This thing is not playing around at all. Shit, incoming! Sometimes I miss the old days. Killing zombies for upstart communities, now that was a lot more simple.
A lot more ethical, too. Wouldn't you say so? Don't you think it's a little more ethical to kill a zombie than just some stranger on the road? An Apocalypse. A story about love, death, and robots. Just not the next guy.